0: But this morning, I want to turn you to the Word of God. And we're going to look in a moment at uh, Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. Now, I, I want to say this, that the 21st century is a little different in the West to the 20th century, as far as Christianity is concerned. In fact, in the West, Christianity was relatively easy. Now, I'm not saying that in other parts of the world, because in other parts of the world, they were persecuted for their faith. They had to stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we are 15 years into the 21st century, and the wind of change has taken place in a remarkable way. Things are developing and things are happening now in this 21st century that they would have thought it was totally inconceivable to happen in the 20th century. There is such a thing as is known as political correctness that is taking things totally out of proportion, so much so that Christians are in many respects being persecuted for their faith and their beliefs. Whether it's people saying, I'm sorry, but it would be best for you to go to another cake shop down the road and get your cake. Or somebody in work talking about their faith and being disciplined for their faith, which is happening in Britain. If a nurse speaks about their faith or... If a school teacher speaks about their faith, they can be disciplined for talking to somebody about what they believe in. Because there is this overemphasis of political correctness. And then there is what is known as the wind of change in relation to Islamic extremism that is creeping across the West in a rampant way that so often we just sit back and we think, well, it's not going to really affect us. In fact, I was listening to one of your news broadcasts just last week on one of your television stations, and there was an imam, one of these clerical... Islamists, that is based in Britain, although they would never give him an audience on British television, that made a statement to your anchorman that said, you will soon in America be under Sharia law. Now, that might seem to be extreme, But in Britain, many many Muslims that are becoming extremists are saying we will not be satisfied until until we see the black flag of Islam flying in uh, over Number Ten Downing Street. Now there are those that say it will never happen. They thought that in relation to the 6th and 7th century, where Christianity was so strong in the Middle East, and suddenly a man by the name of Mohammed arose, and within 30 or 40 years of his death, they had Driven out Christianity in certain countries, whether it was in North Africa or in some of the other Middle Eastern countries, and they had become so dominant. And now there is this upsurge in our world today, and we must ask ourselves the question, can we stand when persecution is around us. If you have been listening uh, to your news broadcasts, reading the press, you will discover whether it is in Ethiopia, in Somalia, or other countries, where Christians have been put to death for their faith. Now, I don't know, and I don't want to be too pessimistic on this um, Mother's Day, but all I want to do is to emphasize the reality of faith, our faith. I would estimate, or a conservative estimate, in the last eight years... Over 10,000 people around the world, Christians, have died for their faith. Now, the Gordon-Conwell Theological Institute in Massachusetts maintain that as many as 100,000 have died per year. But the more conservative estimate, and there's reasons why they have said that, but their conservative estimate is 10,000 per year over the last eight years. Now that is incredible. So that brings me to the scriptures this morning. Luke chapter 14 and verses 25 to 27. Luke 14, 25 to 27. 7, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, wait a minute, Lord, we don't want to hear this. And children and brethren and sisters, yes, and his own life. Definitely, we don't want to hear this. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever doth not uh, uh, bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Disciple. It is fashionable to wear a cross. It is unfashionable to bear a cross. Five times in the gospel, it is spoken about bearing our cross. The Apostle Paul, he made this statement uh, about bearing the cross. In other words, he is saying it is not an easy matter to be a Christian. It is no easy thing. And it is not just a case of come to Jesus and be happy and everything will be right. No, uh, there are different uh, things that somehow seem to come our way when we become Christians that didn't happen before. Therefore, when we Look at the scripture, we see that great multitudes, great multitudes follow the Lord. Oh yes, look at the healings, look at what is happening, look at what is taking place. Come on, let's follow Jesus. Let's see what's going to happen. Maybe they thought that he was going to deliver them from the Roman Empire. And everything was going to be well and fine in Israel again. And Jesus turned around and he saw these people that were following him. And he said, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, then you've got to take up your cross. Uh, there was another time when Jesus turned to the people and he spoke to them about unless you eat a- my flesh and drink of my blood, he was talking about his crucifixion, his death, you cannot be my disciple, and, uh, and do you know what they said, hey listen, we don't want to hear this Jesus, this is a hard thing, in fact the, the Greek word is scleros. it's an ugly thing talking about that, that's what it means. This is disgusting talking about. what, And the scripture says, and many no more walked with him because of the hard things that he said. So here in the scripture, we find he is saying, follow me. In 1904 in Wales, where I was born, I wasn't born in 1904, by the way. Let's get that very clear. 1904, 1905, there was a great revival. And I think in about six weeks, there were about 100,000 people that were added to the church. That's not bad growth, is it? And revival spread from town to town, village to village. And one particular person was in a village and spoke to a church minister, and he said, Has the revival come to your village yet? He said, well, there are signs of the revival. Oh, he said, how many have been added to your church? Oh, he said, it's not added to the church yet. It's subtracted. In other words, he was saying, there are those that find it too difficult to follow this path. So we're going to look at what Jesus is saying here. He said these words. First, discipleship is exclusive. Because he is saying, come after me. Be my disciple. What route are you taking this morning? Are you really coming after the Lord? Are you following in his footsteps? I mean, closely following in the footsteps of Jesus. Or are you one of those distant disciples? You you, you, you hang around on the outskirts of the faith, but you're not really up close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you walking in his footsteps? In 1949... I was born then. There was a revival that took place on the islands called the the Hebrides of the outskirts of Scotland. And it was started when a man went across, a church, a Scotland man went across to do a mission. His name was Duncan Campbell. I had the privilege when I was in Bible college of listening to Duncan Campbell come and minister to us us just uh, shortly before he died. And if ever there has been a man that has impressed me and left a marked impact upon my life, it was him. And When he arrived in Lewis on the Isle of Hebrides, He was met by an elder. And this elder said to him, Mr. Campbell, in his Scottish brogue, Are ye walking with the Lord? Are ye walking with the Lord? There's a thing to say to a pastor. Are you walking with the Lord? But the question comes to each and every one of us. Are we walking with the Lord? Are we his disciples? Are we learning of him? This is an exclusive thing. It's not a case of sometimes I'll walk with the Lord, sometimes I won't. It is a case of walking with the Lord. What has been revealed to you? My disciple means I'm a learner. I'm an ardent student. It is not just a case of coming on a Sunday to listen to the word of God, but day by day I talk to him and I hear from him from his word. I'm a disciple. Are you walking with the Lord? Are you listening to what the Lord is saying? You see, the scripture is making very clear here that discipleship is exclusive. Secondly, discipleship is exacting because he uses a severe word here, takes up his cross. Now, I get the impression that what is happening is this? Jesus is walking along with his disciples and he is seeing something that was quite common in Roman times. He is seeing executions taking place, and crucifixion was a notable execution. And maybe he is watch, uh, watching as somebody is carrying, bearing their cross to the place of execution. And Jesus says, unless you take up your cross, bear the weight of service for me, then you cannot be my disciple. And he says, if you want to follow me, now listen, you've got to count the cost. He says that there are people that say, well, yes, I will follow you. But have you really counted the cost? He says, no man that builds a house without first getting an estimate on how much it's going to cost. He says, you you don't do it. He says, you've got to weigh up what the cost is. No man that goes uh, uh, to war, to battle. Uh, He says, he first uh, assesses how powerful his army must be. And he says, if you're going to follow me, listen, if you're going to follow me, you've got to weigh it all up. You've got to weigh it all up and follow me because it is exacting. He says that we are to carry our cross. What does a cross mean? Well, first of all, it means burden bearing. Sometimes it can be heavy to be a Christian. Sometimes it can weigh us down being a Christian. And we are saying, Lord, what are you doing? Why have you placed this burden upon me? Why have you caused this weight to come upon me? There are things that happen in your life. There are things that happen in our lives that that we say, Lord, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And it causes bruising. The burden causes bruising. You know, this, just over 12 months ago, we, as many of you know, were uh, in such a, a situation where we were absolutely shocked that our granddaughter uh, was uh, taken up to St. Louis for surgery. Little did we realize that They'd given her five days without the surgery to live. And the shock and the horror of it. And I can remember being in St. Louis. My my wife was back in Springfield looking after our other grandson. And I woke up on the Saturday morning in a hotel in St. Louis... And I was just calling upon the Lord and praying about the situation with our little one. And I I made this statement to the Lord. I said, Lord, the burden is too heavy for them. And I had a clear message, not audible voice, but into my heart. And do you know what God said to me? He said... Who said that it is too heavy for them? Who are you to judge that it's too heavy for them to bear? I am the one that will, will judge what they can bear. And suddenly I said, Lord, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I questioned you on this. But then I prayed, Lord, and uh, you know, you, you, you pray all sorts of crazy things when you're praying sometimes. I prayed, Lord, it is chafing them. The burden is chafing them. Will you not rub in some oil to help the chafing? And it was as clear as a bell. God said, I will do that. I will do that. Sometimes he calls us to bear burdens that we think are intolerable. We cannot bear them. But do you know something? He comes along and he says, if you bear the cross, I will cause you to bear it and I will rub in oil to protect you. It causes burdens, the cross, bruising. But you know, When you're talking about the cross here, it causes bereavement because he talks about dying to self, dying to our old life, dying to who we are, what we want in life. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, you've got to die to the old life. Well, our time is rushing by. Let me just go to the final statement discipleship is expensive because he says and hates not father mother now lord this is going too far you know you can't say too far and lord at the same time you can say this is going far lord but you can't say it's going too far and say lord at the same time in other words, what he, he is not telling us to be some cult, to cut ourselves off from our family. But he is saying, put me priority in your life. You know, when we put Christ's priority within our lives, it makes all the difference. It makes all the change to our lives. Those that we cherish, he said, put me first. And do you know who we cherish? If we're honest with ourselves, do you know who we cherish more than anybody else? Even ourselves. That's what he's talking about. And Jesus ha- has a bit of wit about him. You know, even your own selves. In other words, he says, I know what's in the heart of man. I know that we, you, you love each other. Uh, you love yourself more than you love anything else in life. And he is saying, put yourself away. A Japanese missionary found this very, very difficult to preach to the Japanese because they didn't want to do that. But you know, this is what Jesus is calling us to do. Matthew uses the expression, loveth more, loveth more the meat. The extremes of our affections must be Christ and Christ alone. In the 18th century, Isaac Watts was a great hymn writer, prolific hymn writer. And he wrote one of his most famous hymns, When I survey the Wondrous Cross on Which the Prince of Glory Died. The last verse says, were the whole realm of nature mine? That were an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. You know, we can't love a human being too much. But we can love the Lord too little. Do you really love the Lord with all of your heart? with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. That's what is demanded of us. This is what discipleship is all about. In battle, says Tertius, an ancient Greek song, in battle a man must count his own life, his enemy for the honor of Sparta. And the black doom of death as dear as the beams of the sun. I love Shakespeare. And in Henry VI, uh, Shakespeare uh, exclaims through Clifford these words, He that is truly dedicate to war hath no self-love. Hath no self-love. Love. Do we have self-love or do we love Christ more than ourselves? Well, our time has gone, but Jesus said a little further on, listen, he says, if you don't do this, you're like salt that has lost its savor. You have no influence anymore. And if we're going to have an influence in our society, we've got to be totally dedicated to him. We've got to be totally committed to him in all that we are and have. We've got to take up our cross. We've got to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you with no buts attached. And maybe there is somebody here today that is saying, well, I'm not that committed. Listen, it's pointless being an outskirts Christian. You've got to be totally, totally committed. Now, I I, I said earlier on about what is happening with uh, the extremes of Islam. I read this. Where are the churches of Asia Minor? The patriarchs of Alexandria, which is a powerful center of Christianity. Of Antioch, of Constantinople. The whole of the early Syrian Palestinian Christianity, where are they? Where is the church of North Africa, the church of Augustine? And this person says, trodden under foot of men. Over the archway of a mosque in Damascus, you can read the half obliterated inscription. And it's there today. Thy kingdom, O Christ, is an everlasting kingdom. And above it now are the words, there is no God but God. And Mohammed is his prophet. Do you know what happened? The salt has lost its savor. It was easy Christianity that destroyed it all. Not really committed. Are you committed? Let's bow our heads in prayer.